0: Welcome to the On The Way podcast, a podcast dedicated to a compassionate, non-dualistic perspective of the Christian faith. My name is Dom Fay and I'm joined by our regulars today um, for a discussion on the public image of Christianity, Sue Wilton. Hello, Sue.
1: Hi, Dom. Good
0: to be here. And uh, Peter Catt. Thanks for joining us again, Peter.
1: You're very welcome. It's great to be with you.
0: Now, uh, this topic, I guess, is one that we uh, have all been discussing. that has been close to all of our hearts lately, seeing the... um, the Christian voice on the same-sex marriage plebiscite in Australia, seeing the fact that probably the most unpopular president of all time in America, Donald Trump, was elected on the back of the evangelical Christian vote. Um, the, the Christian brand lately does seem to have taken a fair hit, Peter, and I know that this topic, this, this area, is something quite close to your heart, something you dwell on quite a bit. Um, wh- wh- where do you think this currently sits as a bit of a setting up the framework of this conversation?
1: Um, yeah, I'm, I have to say this is one of the things I find most troubling. Um, it seems to me that the Christian brand has um, really been damaged by the whole marriage uh, debate in that uh, Christians, many Christians positioned the debate as if marriage was a core issue to the faith, uh, that there was only one view on what marriage could be, and... Uh, through the use of conflation, there were many other issues that were sort of riveted on to the No campaign in order to try and increase its likelihood of success that has portrayed Christians as being against love and against relationships and against people actually being happy. And it seems to me that... uh, because of the message was delivered so stridently, there's a whole lot of people who've actually decided that the church Christianity is of no value, it, and are actually talking about um, taking punitive measures against the church, of increasing taxation um, and the like. And all of that um, comes hard on the heels of the findings of the Royal Commission, which quite rightly, showed that the church had failed often to care for the most vulnerable people who were part of its community. And I would have thought the Royal Commission, um, the insights that came out of the Royal Commission would have invited the church to exercise a high level of humility and self-reflection. And the marriage debate was uh, delivered in such a strident um way that it seems to me that the humility the gift of the humility that could have come our way as church certainly wasn't embraced and if it had been embraced there would have been a very different uh, offering from the churches or many of the churches in the marriage debate
0: so throughout your lifetime have you noticed a significant shift in perception from, uh, I, I guess, what secular society would consider Christiani- uh, Christianity to be. Do you think it has changed significantly, especially of late?
2: I, I think I'd actually say no. I, I think th- that's part of the tragedy for me is that um, you, you embrace the faith and you know you've had this experience of of grace and a sense that love is at the heart of everything and you follow Christ, and yet you see in this public image and has been, I mean, I've worked in schools and you get the the image um, from young people growing up that has been very much, this is something that is essentially um, anti-happiness, anti-love, very puritanical, it's about obeying the rules, believing the right thing and judging other people, you know, and I, I feel like I've spent last 20 years of my life, trying to unravel that message and trying to point to how um, it doesn't actually fit with the heart of what the gospel's about. So, no, Mm -hmm. I I would actually say uh, I think there's a perhaps a greater intolerance, but I think that's justified on many levels. Um,
0: But I I don't see that the image has um, shifted that much. I was talking to a friend recently about, uh, who's not of faith, about their experience of of the, the Christian religion. And they told me largely they have two experiences. One is seeing people on the street, come up to them and tell them essentially their soul is damned unless they convert. And the second is seeing people in the media, uh, talking against same sex marriage or maybe against abortion or whatever it is. And so their perception of Christianity was, was firmly rooted in fear. Um, being basically being against things rather than being for anything. Sue, so when you're, I guess, a, an ordained member of the church trying to to help people find this transformative love, h- how do you feel when you turn on Q&A and you see the public image of Christianity taking another hit? D- do you feel this sense of grief about it?
2: Oh, yeah, well, yeah. And there's a fair bit of yelling at the TV that happens at times. <laughs> um, you know, I, part of it, you know, because it, it, it's just, in some ways, it's so simple and yet yet we seem to be badging the message so badly, you know, um, because it does come down to people, you know, it, it is how you view God. It is about God, people having perceived God as being distant. And instead of seeing God as distant, um, if we see, you know, if we start to think about God as, as the ground of everything, about the, the ground of all our being, which is a Paul Tillich thing and recognize that actually we you know because people talk about how much they love Jesus how much they love God and and uh, that's an incredibly you know kind of bemusing thing to say on some levels you know mm. how how do you love someone how do you love a being that you 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 don't see you don't touch you you know you have no you you can't hear in a ordinary human way you know so how does that relationship happen and and like that that part of that is mystery part of that you can you can go to the mystics for but also a huge part of it is actually about the practical material life of of living in love for one another and it's actually when we love one another we love god and in those relationships you know so when we see someone on TV who's, who's saying, you know, sparking off about these are the, this is what we, you know, like a, a moral kind of position that, um, that they're maintaining and saying this is what Christianity is about, which is essentially about what you believe and believing the right things and obeying the rules, um, they miss entirely what is an incredibly strong message all through scripture, that you love God through loving others. And that's that dynamism of, of the Trinitarian relationship too, that, that we're invited into relationship always and the way we go love God and the way we experience love mm. is much more grounded and much more simple than a whole list of rules
0: or a whole list of beliefs that you have to subscribe to. I, uh, I remember very early in my radio career, in my media career, I was told that you can be many things in the media, but one thing you can't be is boring. You have to have an opinion. You have to have a viewpoint. And uh, this, this is, I think, part of the problem is that um, – and I think you've mentioned, Peter, that, that shows like Q&A have no interest in getting somebody like you on because they want somebody who will, who will fit the role – of the, the Christian who will argue against this person. They don't you, They don't want you on who's going to practice or preach non-dualism because that's not going to be interesting television.
1: That's right. So the, the ultimate q and I guess, was George Pell having a bun fight with Richard Dawkins. <laughs> and so we had Richard Dawkins who, who took a real narrow scientific line fighting George Pell who put forward all sorts of smart theological arguments and... I thought it was some of the most boring television I've ever seen in my life, but it but it fitted the mould of for and against mm. rather than both end. And I think if we are going to explore this theme of non-dualism, then we need to find ways to be in dialogue with one another even if we disagree. So you know, it would have been a far richer experience if Richard Dawkins had been able to share what he thought uh, gave him life and George Pell was able to share what he thought gave him life and for them to be able to say um, I hear you mm-hmm. and now that we're in dialogue where does it take us um, and I think one of the things the church has missed is at the heart of at the heart of what we're on about is this beautiful mystery and we keep having fights about things that are not essential, mm. so when I was exploring faith as a young person, I kept on meeting people who insisted that I had to accept that the world was four and a half thousand years old or six and a half thousand years of, but yet yeah, <laughs> constructed in four thousand six hundred b c um and I had to accept that Noah's Ark uh, had been sitting on Mount Ararat and I had to accept... I had to accept this whole package of things mm. um, rather than I had to... You know, at the core, at the core, eventually I discovered was this idea that I was actually loved to bits. And now I can see richness in the creation stories by not taking them literally but still taking them seriously um, in a way that doesn't require me to believe this particular understanding of creation or that particular understanding of creation or that particular understanding of the human person um and i think i think we get too caught up on making essential that which is very much secondary and i guess you know, one of the hopes i have for podcasts like this is is asking that people come back to, so what are the essentials? Uh, what, you know, as, um, you know, so what is it that we we can celebrate together and what can we live with in terms of diversity? Mm. So, you know, when I was much younger, I used to love having fights over creation versus evolution. And eventually I got to the stage where I realized that, that was me playing out my resentment Against those who I had perceived had kept me out of the faith for years, um, and I had to let that go. And so I won't I won't have that argument with people anymore. I will enter into conversation, but when it gets to the point of well, you know, okay, so you believe that and I don't. Um, there's no there's no there's no uh, benefit in pursuing the argument any further in fact when we can actually get off on being um, one of the things is i think we can actually deflect ourselves by being in argument it's like if you take a story like jesus walking on the water you can spend a whole lot of time having an argument about whether he did or didn't and people can become cemented in the did or didn't camp and so you could have hours of people saying did didn't did didn't did didn't did didn't and in the end it's deflected everybody from the essential beauty of that story because the story asks us to ask ourselves the question what does this say to you how does it touch your life and what does it invite you to do and the people who are just in the did camp Mm. And the people who are in the didn't camp are actually preventing themselves from entering into that deeper reflection. So, you know, being committed to did doesn't do anything for you. Being committed to didn't doesn't do anything for you. But asking the question, how does this touch my life and what does it mean in terms of my faith life, uh, takes us out of did and didn't and asks us to reflect more deeply. So one of the things is to let go of these arguments, let them go, but ask the deeper questions. Mm. So if we'd done that with marriage, for instance, instead of fighting about can and can't, should or shouldn't, if we'd asked ourselves deeper questions about, so what does it mean to be in a relationship that actually gives life to you? If we'd asked that question, we might have ended up in a very different space
0: perhaps perhaps this is where um one argument can be made that Christianity has conformed too much to culture was where culture has moved into a very argumentative who's right who's wrong position um you know with everyone going around believing in their superiority and their correctness mm. um Often, I think, uh, church leaders and and Christians, because we are just human after all, have fallen into the exact same pattern and are now known for the exact same thing. So, how how do we? I mean, I know you're mentioning there that that you know you go deeper, you ask the deeper questions, but doing that inner work, entering mystery, this is this is much harder work than just reflex biting back with your opinion. Um, it's it's a different way of thinking, a different way of being. How do we start the move into into that dynamic, into a very countercultural, different dynamic?
1: Well, it is countercultural, eh, firstly, and we have to build communities that are centered on something other than all believing the same thing. Mm. So you know, we've, we've, we've not only followed the culture into being argumentative, we've also followed the culture into consumerism. And so now there's a sort of a consumerist view of church. How people shop around for a church find churches that suit them. Now, that might be a very positive thing in that it might be a place that is uh, open and generous and people of all sorts of opinions can find a home there. But it also might be a very restrictive thing in that, oh, I found a place where everyone believes what I believe or I found a place where at least there isn't a person who believes that. Mm -hmm. And so people... Leave churches on the basis of, oh well, you know, they're supporting that that theme. I don't agree with it anymore, so I'm going to go over there. And so there's that consumerist behaviour. So it's about building communities that are actually founded on something other than belief structures, but actually celebrate the diversity of humanity and the complexity of humanity. And you know, I think one of the tests of any Christian community is is how well does it accommodate diversity? Do you have people who are, say, pro-marriage equality, living side-by-side side with people who are anti-marriage equality or, to put it more positively, support what they regard as a traditional form of marriage? Um, does your community allow that those two groups to live together and celebrate something that's deeper than being on the same page about an issue it's not easy though that's not easy it's particularly in the consumerist culture where people have the option to just go and shop somewhere else but part of what we need to be saying is that's not what it's about people Mm. and trying not to get into the advertising mode i guess
0: so, as we're discussing, you know, all of this stuff, a lot of the themes that have been central to the discussions on this podcast um, to date, it, it feels so life-giving. It feels so much like you've you've uncovered truth, um, yet it can also be quite easy when we're talking about the public image of Christianity to get quite discouraged, to feel like this is very much the minority position in the Christian church. Yeah. Um, you know that 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 we're we're certainly against a tide of of uh, people who want to and are determined to to live the other way. How how do you live with that tension?
2: I, I think there's some inherent joy in following Christ, and I think when. In, in in living that the small size doesn't matter so much you know i think there's always is it margaret mead who said don't ever doubt that small groups of people change the world um or, or something along those lines you know and and i think it's small groups of people in 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 their own spaces and in their own communities um do make a huge difference and you know you can and because i think everyone's tired of the kind of partisan arguments and the you know the toing and froing um and I can understand why people wouldn't want a part of that in the church, that they see just just people disagreeing on, on beliefs and whether the, which belief's the right belief. Everyone's tired of it. I'm tired of it, you know. And yet we have the opportunity instead to just get in and live something different. You know, and so you just sort of step to the side of that. And so it doesn't get discouraging, I guess, because, um, you know, despite the occasional, you know, frustration at what appears on the media, uh, then you get to get on with it. You come back to your small groups of people and you come back to finding ways to, to live in love and in caring for one another and acting for justice and working for peace. And you see other people who are so excited about doing the same thing, you know, and, and that enlivens me a lot.
0: There is a temptation within me, and I'm sure you have both felt the same temptation, I'm sure anyone in this vein of faith has, that you almost want to move to something new and distinctly say, put a message out there, we are not them. This is different. Come here, this is different. You will find something different here. Um, simply because the, the alternate messaging is so opposite to what you know we are discussing and what we, we, we hope to live by. Is that in any way something worth considering, Peter, or is that just buying into the dualisms we're trying so hard to avoid?
1: It uh, will fail every time, it has. Um, it's, it's really just another expression of Puritanism, saying we, we are now the pure ones um, and we are different. And you can bet your bottom dollar that certainly by the time we get to the second generation of that movement it will have concretized itself into various forms it'll be just as fundamentalist and literalist as all get up and um no it's not the answer the the answer isolation is not the answer tribalism is not the answer um that's that's got a proven track record of failure it's a bit like um it's a bit like we don't ever give uh peace a chance we've We've proven that war destroys us, and but we still invest in it. Um, it it really is to just fall into the the human way of thinking that you can you can get yourself into a better space by separating yourself from others. Um, every tradition in the church has something to offer the rest of the church, um, and you know, in the Anglican Church, at its best, we see that. In operation all the time. It's when it's when um, various traditions become uh, uncooperative um, that we end up with problems. When people seek to be purify the church so it all looks like them, it becomes a cancer. Then, um, you know, the only thing in biology where all the cells are identical is a cancer. So. Mm-hmm you know uniformity, uniformity is, is cancerous and to go to separate ourselves uh, we would soon find that we were with a bunch of people who we didn't actually agree with in totality and that's been the history of the church um, when the Anglican Church in Australia decided to ordain women a whole bunch of people left to set up an alternate church that would be correct and true and beautiful and wouldn't ordain women and within um, a decade that church had disintegrated into a huge number of tiny splinters as they realized that whilst they were unified by being anti the ordination of women over time they realized they had diversity of opinions about which prayer book should be used. Uh, whether gay people should be part of the church and the list went on and, and they just kept on dividing and got smaller and smaller. So it ended up being the in, they ended up in the ludicrous situation where most of the clergy that left the Anglican church became bishops of incredibly small little splinter groups um, because it, it really is just Puritanism and it doesn't work. We have to be in the mess. We have to be engaged. Um, we have to face the bits of it that we really, really don't like. And I'm, you know, I have been so deeply troubled by the damage done to the brand by the marriage equality debacle. Um, but I know that the future of the church is not for me to walk out, thinking I'm walking on the moral high ground to set up a church that's better and more generous and more open than the others because I've actually just locked out a whole bunch of people by doing that.
0: I guess you just become the part of the problem you're so so I've amb- against.
1: Amplified the problem. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I think I, I read once that there are as many different versions of Christianity as there are people who believe Christ- in the Christian faith. That that there isn't one correct way of doing it all or one one person who's got it all right or one denomination that's sorted it all out, but but that actually, as uncomfortable as it is, diversity is is necessary. But y- you can't deny uh, how difficult it is when some people aren't aren't just having a slightly different perspective, but the polar opposite. The, the you know something that is not life enhancing or life giving, but life restricting. Something that is that is bigoted and 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 hurting rather than helping and loving. <laughs>
1: yeah and how how one lives lives with that is a constant challenge, but um that's who we are that's people that's humanity. If we resign in a sense, if we resign from a part of the church because we don't like it, then we'll end up resigning from humanity because we don't like that either mm. and how we how we project um, into that a uh, something else is is the constant challenge to stay in the body rather than to the, ch- the church has been divided enough over the last two thousand years it's um and dividing it again is not going to, it's not suddenly going to say oh, well that, that's great now Christianity's fixed <laughs> it's it's part of part of the complexity of being a human being it's it's the stuff we face in a lot of families. It's the stuff we face in, in countries. And increasingly, there is this push towards Puritanism in all its forms. So you know, we want, you know, Britain wants to be separated from Europe. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, if, if we fall for that, we are actually just giving in to the spirit of the age. And that is the spirit of the age. It's about dividing people from one another. And the countercultural, the true countercultural movement is is to work out how to build community where there is diversity
0: so Sue, when you're in conversation uh with somebody who is so insistent on something you don't agree with um whether it is an anti-same-sex marriage position perhaps whether it is a literal interpretation of of scripture um i mean i was in one of these conversations last night and i noticed in myself that my instinctive reaction was oh you're one of them um and was to have a bit of an eye roll and probably look for the first exit out of the conversation because i knew it wasn't going to be a fun one but you know if the call is to live with diversity what can you what what could you do what would you do in that in that conversation
2: I think there are times when you just know you're not going to get anywhere, too. Um, You know, and we all—it's interesting. You mentioned the words. We all have our own buzzwords. You know, because we are basically tribal, Mm. we will have certain words that we use, and we can recognise. We're probably instinctively much faster at recognising one another's complex positions than we might anticipate. You know, that people just say a couple of words and we go right, and we put in a whole package of things that may or may not be accurate, Mm. but we associate. That's just what we do, um, but I think there's a challenge to make sure that I watch my own language. Then, uh, to go, well, what language am I using, whether it's divisive or not, and try to stay in that conversation. Uh, you know, the the fact remains that I can have a much, what feels to me like a much more life giving conversation with most atheists than with many other Christians. Where where who are um, on the more fundamentalist spectrum? That's just the way it is, and I know that. But at base point, we're both human, you know. And I think we, I, you start from the fundamental humanity. This person has dreams, hopes, desires, just like me, you know. And and try to to get it to that point of of their humanness, okay? And in, in that conversation. But I think the other part of it is sometimes you don't have as many of those conversations as you do have conversations supporting those who might be feeling ostracised by the church because that they have experienced some real damage or some uh, they've been felt judged and they've felt cast out and they've felt not worthy. I'd much rather have those conversations. Actually, spending time with with with. Those people showing them that those messages were wrong, you know, that those messages that that would make them feel less than, that would make them feel um, anything but the beloved of God that they are. You know, I would like to have put my energy mostly into those conversations.
0: So so almost try to avoid any time you, you feel yourself going down the argumentative conversation route that is so... Uh, instinctual yes. Yeah. just just tap out
2: yeah tap out sometimes <laughs> is is a fine thing but tap out with hopefully
0: with a bit of love and respect and compassion <laughs> <laughs> um it, it, it is interesting I had quite a painful moment recently when I asked a friend who I've been I guess uh journeying with for some years who believes something's quite different to me I asked him what he thought of my faith and he's like oh you're just very anti church, aren't you and that was like, oh, you don't know me for what I'm against, do you? Is that what stands out the most? What I'm against, not what I'm for? And then I realized that I'm exactly in with everything that I am against, I suppose. Um, and, and when we are talking about rehabilitating the public image of Christianity, you know, there is, as, as as we've discussed, the temptation to say, to do it this way, to do it our way, to, to put our message out, a counter-narrative instead of their message, Um, which even then their message, you know, it is so dualistic, so tribalistic. The rehabilitation job is a much more complex one than that. And it, uh, it clearly involves going beyond the mind, going beyond the ego, going beyond the need to be right. Practically, Peter, what are the, what, what can the steps be? How can we, how can we, I guess, rehabilitate a public image that is, is so far down the drain seemingly at the moment?
1: Uh, first and foremost, I think it's it's about focusing on the positives. Um, you know, I would, you know, I've, I've certainly been an advocate for marriage equality for a long time, um, but one of the one of my rules in terms of my advocacy was, um, to the best of my ability, not to attack the other. And so many a time. Uh, a reporter would ring me and ask me something about marriage equality, and the first question was always, "So, why do you, you know, why do you support marriage equality?" And I would put the positive case about love and social evolution, social evolution of institutions, and stuff like that. And invariably, they would ask me sort of to comment on something that someone else had said, and I would try to refuse to do that. So I wouldn't enter into the them versus us way of doing media I just tried tried to the best of my ability to talk about how I saw it and not to attack the other so simply to state the case the positive case and you know quite a few times I realized you know that that actually meant that what I would said didn't get reported because what they really wanted was me to say so-and-so from the ACL is wrong or stupid or horrible or you know pro-magnon or you know something um and because I wasn't prepared to give them what they wanted I didn't get reported but I think that's the only way that we can um legitimately uh talk about the gospel is to focus on what it means to us what it's done for us, what it means to be part of a community that celebrates what we celebrate. And for people to fill in their own dots in terms of what that means about other things but not for, for us not to focus on the conflict because otherwise the conflict becomes a story um, it's our opposition to the other that is the stuff that gets reported rather than the positive messages. And It really is about making sure that we just don't give in to, again, the spirit of the age which wants us to be in conflict with one another, wants to highlight difference, and doesn't really care about what the differences stand for. So many many of the things you see on TV, you come away knowing that people disagree with each other. So, This is what political debates are all about. The political debate is always about just saying, I am different to them. And even using non-facts or false facts to accentuate difference. We see it in the refugee area all the time. You know, the Labour Party constantly criticises the Liberal Party for the fact that the people are still on Manus and Nauru when the Labour Party put them there. And they say, oh, we, we would have them off by now. Well, that, you know, that's just, a, you're splitting hairs. You know, you, but you're trying to make political capital by accentuating or making or creating difference where there is none you know their policies are essentially identical would be where we are in refugee policy no matter who's in power and until someone decides there's another model a positive model it won't change so for us the same it's the same thing we can either accentuate on the difference and we can highlight the difference and we can point how we're not like the other or we can simply say, Our job is to proclaim the Gospel as we see it, talk about the positives, and not get drawn into the arguments not to get not to get drawn into the accentuation of difference. It does feel like quite a heavy
0: force is pushing back um at times though in the sense of we we chatted about this being the minority position, which even that is quite um, conflict-based language. It suggests there is a force against us or something along those lines, but, but that this doesn't seem to be at least the widely reported, widely held, widely known position of the Christian faith. So how do you—because it, it does feel like so much work needs to be done to rehabilitate this public image— it is. I mean, uh, you said in an email when we were discussing this podcast, Peter, that it's getting more and more trashed and then the, the damage is not being repaired when, when the church changes its position or, or comes to accept. When there is so much work to be done in rehabilitating the image of Christianity, so much work that, that needs to be done in turning this around or, or I guess, showing more of a loving sense... Do you ever feel like like it is too much like like how do you climb this mountain? how do you i don't want to use the language of achievement, but how can, how can we how can a difference be made
1: yeah um see i'm i'm not I'm not sure that that it is the minority position. It may not be the most organized position um like a marriage equality you know every survey after survey after survey showed that the majority of pew sitters. In every tradition, we're in favour of marriage equality. So to you know to argue that that was the minority position, even though in terms of what we saw in the media, it would be seen as the minority position, is um, so I think it's far more complex than that. And I also um, you know I'm constantly fascinated because you know. But what what could be seen as the majority position, that of traditional marriage and Christianity has taken on to itself the idea that it is the underdog and the one that's being oppressed and suffering. So I think there's actually some danger in in sort of using that sort of understanding. I think one just sticks to what one sees as the positives and just and as Sue said, small group, who cares if it's small? um again our culture says that bigger is better and you know donald trump you know has got the biggest button um on his desk <laughs> as if because having the biggest button matters and we we have sort of in the church also fallen for the idea that bigger is better bigger is writer um that being the one that gets heard most is makes us the most just rightest one, you know, so I think, I think we can challenge the culture by simply doing what we do and doing it well, uh, building communities that are good and loving, and if it's five people, that's beautiful. If it's 500 people, It could also be beautiful. It's not more beautiful because it's 100 times the size, but we do have that sort of idea that bigger is better, and that's, again, a cultural thing. And I think we just do away with all of that conversation, all of that um, comparison, and talk about what it does for us. And I think, in the end, that's what builds communities and if you don't focus on growth i think growth comes but if you get so caught up on growth you'll either end up with growth that's just for growth's sake or you'll not grow at all because you're actually not speaking to people so i think i think we just have to push through all of those cultural those cultural norms so we don't need a revolution <laughs> well we, we we do, but it's the revolution of the small group, the revolution that comes from a, that small group of people just living the authentic life, and that's what you know we look at so many of the transformational moments and in our his, in history, and they can be traced back to little groups of people. Um, sticking to their guns and living the authentic life. Slavery was overturned by a very small group of people. The Clapham sect of uh, in, in England were the people who held the vision and eventually it spread. Segregation in the US was overturned by Rosa Parks sitting down in the front of the bus saying, I'm tired. It's, it's those little moments of people just living the authentic life that actually lead to revolution that's where the revolution comes genuine revolution not and, just and, not just the animal farm version <laughs> where the you know the pigs end up in control but true transformation simply happens when small groups of people live the authentic life and other people eventually are drawn to that because of the effect it's having
0: i suppose rarely is overhauling enormous revolution the intention with those communities, either
1: no, no, they're not out to. They're not out to cause revolution. They're out to live an authentic life, and that's what I mean by stick to the positives. Talk about the positives. Don't get into comparatives. Um, people, people will work out the comparatives if they need to. So someone who's, someone who's grown up in a fundamental fundamentalist household will recognize in a different community that which they seek, and you don't need to tell them. You don't need to say hello we're here Um, we're not fundamentalists they will pick that up either because you've got a rainbow flag out the front or because you offer hospitality to the homeless or they will see it
2: and i love it when we, we have people that come in here and say you know we've been watching you for a while because they have been seeing things or they come and say there's something about you guys in here and something about this place and it's that picking up of, of a community living, living differently, living in that kind of countercultural way, living actually lives that are based on forgiveness, for instance, you know, living actually into forgiveness of self and forgiveness of others and living in caring for one another and having an eye to, to,
0: to justice and to how do we live into the peace we want to see. So how do you stop that? I guess, Sue, from following its natural human urge to then form tribalism, you know, to, to say, yes, we're doing it great, we've got the best group. I
2: actually think the Eucharist does that. I think that's the, the 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 centering thing that we do every week, you know, what what stops us is we come back, we break bread around the table together, we share a cup of wine and we meet Christ as the broken people we are all together, not as leaders of some incredibly successful um new tribal group that's going to take the world by storm. We're just humble, like humbly coming knowing that we are broken. You know, and, and and when we see one another there, then it's about just faithfulness to that message of Christ who came and gave everything that we come and gather and, and live faithful lives rather than aiming to live successful or popular or, you know, um, in, in the media version, you know, what looks like a victorious, you know, uh, a, a sort of institution, you know, we just live faithful lives quietly.
0: It does seem that so much of an emphasis on this is, is on being countercultural in so many ways In, in being, you know, having dialogue instead of being argumentative in being, you know, maybe small instead of large, quiet instead of loud, um, humble instead of, uh, full of ego and, and success, um. It is funny; they're not new ideas, Peter. <laughs> these really are these really are a core to the faith, but somehow lost over time.
1: Well, and it doesn't it does mean that our spiritual practice has to be our first practice. Um, we have to spend time in prayer and meditation and worship, and for those to be the things that we allow to transform us and to inform us, um, so that we do um, constantly. See the role that our ego wants to play, and constantly see um, how we, we 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 want to be successful in the terms that the world puts before us we, you know we're we're asked you know we're asked every year to feed to the diocese you know numbers for christmas and and the number of people who are here on a Sunday and, you know, when the numbers go up, we rejoice. And when the numbers go down, we get sad and, 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 and recognizing that, um, that we're invited into that same space by the church to, um, to look into success and failure in terms of numbers, um, to be tempted to have our egos stroked, um, and and basically having to keep coming back to the spiritual disciplines. Um, you know, the clergy team are all uh, insistent on having spiritual directors, and we spend a lot of time talking with each other about about what's going on for us and in us in in this community, um, so that so that those spiritual di- disciplines are forever calling us back to the centre. Uh, it's an ongoing work, um, a vital work, and and the whole community is called to that work, which is why we spend so much time promoting the smorgasbords of, of spiritual offerings, so that uh, you know people people who find themselves centered by meditation. Uh, find themselves a place to be centered and people who need body prayer can walk the labyrinth and find themselves centered people who are eucharistic can um, find themselves kneeling around the table and find themselves centered and people who who find music is the transformer transformative uh, thing in their life can come to beautiful music and find themselves centered and transformed and challenged and you know, and it's sort of one of the principles we take to our preaching is that preaching should be something that first and foremost challenges the preacher and then hopefully challenges those who listen. I'm taken back to a convers- uh, conversation I recently had with
0: a friend of mine who said, because I kept talking about how I think you know the church needs to be more loving or we, we need to be more loving as Christians. And they quite uh, brilliantly just said back to me, well, why don't you stop talking about it and just start being more loving? Just start, just do it. Just be more loving and yep. it will follow. Um, exactly. So so I guess, look, I- in summary, to wrap this up, if we're talking about the public image of Christianity, which, which has, I mean, this isn't the first hit that it's taken over the years. Um, if we were talking about a, a different vision, uh, you know, hopefully through authentic living, um, some sense of a transformation over time, what would be... I guess, a dream of uh, of articulating the public image of Christianity. At its best, how do you think the Christian faith, and I'll ask both of you this one, perhaps could be seen in the world? What do you think the public image could be at its best?
2: There's a story in a Philip Yancey book. Uh, it's probably in What's So Amazing About Grace of a woman who comes um, that that the I think the author was speaking to and uh, she was a sex worker. She had had a numerous other things in her life that had caused her to feel broken and lost and um, full of shame. And and he was suggesting to her that she go to her local church. And she said, why would I want to do that? I already – I feel bad enough about myself already. And I guess if I was going to articulate something, what would we want the people to see of the church – is to see that image of us around the table and to recognize that we we all just come as broken people together, that there would be no need for all, you know, when people come in and they say, oh, I can't come to church, the roof will fall in, you know, for them to understand how, how totally opposite to what the church is about, you know, that, that statement is, the fact that it is, um, you know, we're a bit of a zoo, really, you know, we come in, there's all types here, and we come here because of what we receive, not because of who we are
1: yeah the church at its best uh, the thing the thing is the public image is way out of kilter with what's actually happening in churches and um you know, there are many many communities where people are finding themselves loved and accepted and so at its best, I think that the church would become known for that, and I think the thing that will uh enable the church to To live that more deeply will be for the church to remind itself that it is a community of baptized people and that its prime call is to be a baptizing community and that that call means that each person discovers that they are unique, uniquely loved and that they have a unique ministry. And that when they are baptized, the church is acknowledging that which God knew about them from the beginning, that they are a one-off, there will be no other one of them, and only they can do what they've been called to do. And then the church's job is to help them work out what that is. And if we saw each person as a Christ, which is why we use the term christening in the baptismal liturgy and celebrated the fact that they are fantastic simply because they are, because they are a one-off, and that each person was able to understand that about themselves as well, then the striving would cease, the acceptance would increase, and a whole lot of stuff that divides the church from itself and from society would just simply fall away if we made that our focus so it is really a deep humanitarian i think yeah, i think jesus first and foremost was a humanitarian he thought that people were great the structures should only be seen as great if they made people great if they diminished people then poof get rid of them and i think that the church at its best looks at people and sees unique human beings and celebrates their uniqueness and then helps them celebrate their uniqueness and thrive so we end up being wounded healers we end up being broken life givers we end up being people essentially people of grace and I think When the church rediscovers what the word grace means, then um, it'll be a real gift to the world.
0: It is remarkable um, with the two of you, with this cathedral, uh, in in a time where the public image of Christianity has taken such a hit. Every time we have one of these conversations, they always end on a very hopeful, optimistic note the journey is always unfolding and um and you always see the hope well we will uh, we will wrap that up there thank you so much peter thank you so much sue thanks tom and uh, we'll be back with another episode of the on the way podcast shortly